teaching. Uh, I, I kind of have a, a, a love-hate relationship with going, teaching through books uh, because, you know, it, it, if I was just preaching topical sermons, I wouldn't even have to do this right now. Uh, but because we're preaching through the whole book, uh, we have to go through some of these difficult passages, and that's a good thing. Uh, we should be going through some of these difficult passages. Um, I want to start just quoting a scripture really quick. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, uh, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so that is one of the things that we need to take into account, that we need to be studying the word of God, and we need to be rightly dividing the word of God, right? Anybody, any, anybody can take apart an, an, an engine of a car, right? But you have to be able to put it back together in right order. And that's kind of what that verse is talking about. And we're really, when we're studying the Bible, uh, we need to be able to take these passages and really break them down and study them uh, because not everything is as it seems on the surface. Uh, and this is one of those passages. Uh, if you just read this passage casually uh, that we're about to go through, uh, you get a very wrong interpretation, okay? Uh, and there are many teachers out there that do teach this passage wrong. Uh, and it's very sad that they do that. And uh, you can know that some of these people are false teachers because uh, this is one of those that they will definitely take out of context uh, completely uh, and really just uh, spewing lies. Uh, and so with that, let's go ahead and pray before we open up God's word this morning. Uh, dear Lord, uh, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. And I, I pray that you would please help us to understand that we need to study uh, the whole word of God and we need to be taking uh, passages uh, and studying them in context. Uh, and we need to be uh, studying hard, Lord, and just help us to understand that. Uh, that way we can really understand what you have to teach us in scripture. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you open up our hearts to what you have to teach us and allow us uh, to soak it up like a sponge. Um, and just allow us to stay focused on you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, the passage that I'm talking about this morning is First uh, John chapter 3, uh, verses 4 through 9. Uh, and the very difficult verse in all of that uh, is verse 6. And we're going to talk about that uh, extensively uh, this morning. Uh, so let's go ahead and read verses 4 through 9 here. Uh, it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen uh, him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who practices sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Uh, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, uh, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. So you can see why this is a difficult passage. It's essentially saying, on a surface level, if you just look at this uh, without any other context, you go, okay, well, if you sin, uh, you're not saved, right? And people use this, these verses to claim, well, I'm saved, and therefore I don't sin anymore, right? I've actually heard preachers say this, 
And they're liars. They're liars. Even according to John, in this same book, they're liars. Uh, so what we're going to do this morning was we're going to break this passage down and really try to understand uh, what's going on here. So the first thing I have to say this morning, this is a very important thing. I've, you, you may have heard other preachers say this. I've heard many teachers in seminary say this. This is one of the most important rules in interpreting Scripture. Context, context, context. Okay? Just remember that. Anytime you don't understand a verse, context, context, context. Very important. And so if we back up in the book of John, uh, and if we, or sorry, the book of 1 John, uh, and we compare this verse to something that he said earlier, there seems to be a contradiction uh, in John's scripture. Uh, so if we go to 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 10, and so John says here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So 1 John is a pretty small book. It's only for like five chapters, okay? Uh, people that use that verse in chapter 3 and say, I don't sin anymore, right? According to John himself, earlier in the book, they're a liar, right? They're deceiving themselves and the truth is not in them. So if you think that because you know Jesus, right, uh, that you'd no longer sin, uh, you're kidding yourself, right? And you're probably not saved. That's what it's saying, that the truth is not in you. And so when we look at these two verses together, it's, that's like, okay, well, I see here earlier in John that uh, if we claim to not have sin, then well, we're not saved, right? But later in John, he seems to be saying, well, uh, if you're saved, you don't sin anymore. And so when you look at that, you're like, okay, well, how do I, how do I uh, balance these two? How do I understand that these two are not contradictory to each other? And the, the key here is John is not contradicting himself. If you were looking at this and you don't understand what it's saying, that's just exactly what it is. There is a lack of understanding on our part, right? We can't understand that. And so what do you need to do when you see a verse like that? Well, uh, you need to compare that with other scripture. You need to study deeper, right? That's why the Bible says, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? We need to study. And so if there's something that you don't quite understand or it seems like it's not lining up, study it deeper, right? It's a, it's a pretty easy principle to understand. So context, context, context. We see earlier in the book that John is saying something different or seemingly different, right? And so what that tells us is we need to study more. And really, when we look at this passage here, uh, it should tell us, well, hey, there's some prior knowledge that we need to have some prior basic knowledge that we need to have about Scripture in order to understand these verses, right? Uh, not every verse is just super easy to understand. And even the verses that are easy to understand, if you study them and you, uh, you can always understand it on a deeper level, right? Famous verse, you know, John three sixteen, right? 
I have seen super in-depth studies on John 3.16, even though on the surface level we can understand exactly what it's saying, right? But there's still in-depth studies, so you get even more profound knowledge of it, right? And then there's verses that are difficult like this where you need that prior knowledge. And so uh, I have some points this morning that we're going to go through before we look at this scripture again, okay? So first of all, uh, again, prior knowledge of scripture is key here. Uh, so firstly, mankind has a sin nature. Uh, pretty much everybody agrees with that. We, we are born with a sin nature. That's because of the, the fall of man, right? Uh, if you look at Romans 3.23, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? Then Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Right? And so, what that's saying there is because Adam sinned, he brought, he, he brought sin into the world, and he passed it to all of his offspring. So we all have a sin nature. Uh, it, it, we, we sin from birth. Why? Because it's a part of us. We have it in us to sin, right? Next thing we need to understand before we go uh, back to our main scripture is Jesus was the complete payment for sin. Okay? Uh, he's the complete payment for sin. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 2. We already went through this. Uh, it says, in G, uh, sorry, and he himself is the propitiation for, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What an awesome verse there. So we have a sin nature, and Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, meaning he's the complete atonement, right? He paid for our sins completely. Uh, there is nothing else we need to do other than have faith in Christ in order to be saved, because he was the complete payment, right? Next point here, because payment has been made uh, on our behalf, salvation is available through faith, right? So because Jesus made that payment, right, for sin, salvation has been made available to us through faith in him, okay? Uh, Romans 10, 13, uh, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Ephesians uh, 2, 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, uh, and not and sorry, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, right? So there's nothing that we can do in order to be saved other than have faith in Christ, right? Have faith and you're saved. That's it, right? There's no you know, baptism's not attached to that. Nothing else is attached to that. Faith in Christ alone. Why? Because it's it's nothing that you can do of yourself. Right, according to Ephesians 2.8. So salvation is available through faith. Very important. At the moment of, the next point here, at the moment of faith, the spirit of the believer is regenerated. Right? And so uh, in, what I mean by that is, so we have this sin nature. When Adam sinned, uh, the spirit of man is now dead. Okay? The spirit of man is dead. So if you're not saved, your spirit is dead. But when you're saved, your spirit, at that moment of salvation, you, your spirit is regenerated. I mean, it's brought back to life, right? Uh, Titus 3.5 says, 
not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit regenerates our, our spirit. Uh, John 3, 6, he says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Also here, we have Romans eight fifteen uh, through 16. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, talking about the Holy Spirit here, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the, spirit, the Holy Spirit regenerates our spirit, right? Also attached to that is that the Holy Spirit then indwells the believer, so at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into you and indwells you. So now you have the Spirit of God living inside you, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed uh, with the Holy Spirit, Oh, sorry, I, I meant to add there. The Holy Spirit then indwells and seals the believer. So just, just adding there. Um, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession uh, to the praise of his glory. And so what that means there is that the Holy Spirit indwells you and seals you. What does that mean that the Holy Spirit seals you? Well, that means that as soon as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And because of that, there's a ceiling there. Uh, that you, it's closed, uh, and you cannot ever lose your salvation. That's what it's talking about. And so the Holy Spirit sealing you, that means it's not of your power. It's not of anything. You are God's permanently. Okay? And what it also talks about here... Uh, that, or actually in, a, in the other passage that we went through, uh, that we have the spirit of adoption, right? Uh, and I've talked about this before, but that spirit of adoption that we have, that's such a powerful thing because in the Hebrew times, right, uh, if you had a child that was going astray or anything, uh, you could disown that child, right? But if you adopted a child, you could not legally disown an adopted child. Why? Because that's a child that you picked, right? You, you, couldn't, you couldn't disown them after that because you were, you know, you brought them in in the first place. And so legally, you could not uh, disown an adopted child. Why is that important for us? Well, if we have the spirit of adoption, that means that we are God's permanently. Permanently. So there's no chance we are ever losing our salvation. That's it's very important to understand with the passage that we're going through. Okay? Uh, now, here's another important point here. So, once the Holy Spirit indwells you, your spirit is uh, regenerated. Well, there is now a conflict between, uh, is within the believer between the spirit and the flesh. And so, understand, we are all triune beings, right? We have a mind, we have a body, we have a spirit, right? We're triune beings just like God, okay? Uh, but if our spirit is regenerated and our bodies are not yet glorified, 
Well, then there's a problem there, right? Now there is a war within us between what our flesh wants and what the spirit wants. Spirit wants to please God, but the flesh wants to continue in sin, right? And so we need to understand that with this passage. So there is a, a conflict uh, between the spirit and the flesh. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 22. And Paul describes this uh, perfectly uh, here uh, in Romans 7, 18 through 22. And it's really like Paul describes the conflict that we all have here. Uh, and if you, don't, if you don't think you have this conflict, uh, check again, right? And so even Paul has this conflict. It says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells, right? So in his flesh, nothing good dwells, right? For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. So he's like, I don't want to sin, but I sin, right? And when I want to do good things, I tend not to do those things. Talking about his flesh. He goes, now if I do what I will, uh, what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Right? So his flesh, right, wants to sin. It says, I find then a law that evil is present with me. And the one, sorry, the one who wills to do God, or sorry, to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Right? And so Paul talks a lot about this, the, the old man versus the new man. Right? So First uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, uh, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Right? And so uh, you have a new nature within you once you're saved. You still have this old nature. Right? And so there is a battle between those two. And even Paul's describing this, right? He's like, hey, I really want to do good, but I, I don't do it. And I really don't want to do bad, but I do do it, right? There's a conflict there. Galatians 5.17 also says, for the, or sorry, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. So flesh wants to do bad against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Right? And so our flesh and the Holy Spirit that is dwelling within us are at conflict with one another. Constantly. And this is a sign that you are a child of God. When you do things that are bad, do you feel guilty about it? Does the Holy Spirit convict you? It should, because if there's no conviction there, you're probably not saved. And that's what John is kind of talking about in this passage, and we'll get to that. Next point here. The child of God can still sin, but not without correction from God, okay? Or not without some sort of conviction, right? Hebrews 12, 6 says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So uh, what that means, right? Scourges and chastens. Uh, chastening is like correction, 
okay? It's a very extreme form of correction. And so if the Lord loves you, he's going to correct you when you're doing things wrong. Uh, and even goes further here. I, I heard Brother Clint uh, preach on this one time at Fresno uh, that he was talking about the correction of God. And uh, he talked about this word scourge, right? And so the word scourge there, uh, that is the same word that it was talk, talking about when Jesus was being beaten, okay? That type of pain that Jesus suffered, right? Uh, that's what scourging means. And so sometimes, or a lot of times, God's correction hurts. That we need to understand that, that, that things aren't always sunshine and daisies, especially when you are not listening uh, to the will of God, when you are being disobedient. God will correct you. Why? Because he loves you, right? It's a sign that we are truly children of God if he is correcting us. That leads to the next point here. And the, this, is, this is the last point on the prior understanding stuff that we need to have. The Heavenly Father trains, corrects, and chastens every child of God. Okay? If you don't have that correction, it probably means that you are not a child of God. Okay? Hebrews 12.8 says, but if you are without chastening, of which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. It's pretty straightforward there, right? If you don't have correction from God, right? If you don't have that chastening, then you're not a child of God, right? It says all are partakers. So all of the children of God receive correction from God. It's an important thing to understand. And so with all of that, right, what does verse 6 here mean then? If it doesn't mean uh, what, it, what we're talking about on the surface, well, then what does it really mean? So let's read verse 6 again. It says, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So we talked about all those verses, right? All that prior knowledge that we need to have. Well, there's, uh, the Greek makes it very easy to understand here. Uh, this, is, this is one of the limitations of our English language. Uh, the, the word for sin here in this sentence, uh, both times, uh, whoever abides in him does not sin, and then also whoever sins, right? Uh, both times, uh, that word is in the present tense and continuous. And so it's talking about continuing in sin, Right? It's talking about, you know, basically, if you habitually sin over and over and over again, the same sin all the time, okay? That's the first thing we need to understand here, okay? So uh, it's present continual. And so what we should understand is that the child of God cannot remain in sin without some consequences. We need, that's, that's mainly what John is talking about here. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Right? And so he's not talking about, oh, you don't commit a sin ever. Right? He's talking about that people that live in sin and they have no remorse, no uh, repentance, no correction over that. Then you're not a child of God. Right? That's why it says here, whoever sins has neither seen him or no, nor known him. And so somebody habitually sinning, no remorse, 
uh, no repentance, right? And no correction from God over it. They're not saved. Okay? You, when you're sinning, you should feel guilty about it. If you're not feeling guilty, better check yourself, right? Now, this is different than ignorance. I will, uh, ju that's just a side note there. Somebody who does not understand that they, what they're doing is a sin, that is very different than somebody who knows that they're sinning and still keeps doing it anyway. That's why in the first verse, uh, it talks about whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, right? The, that, when it's talking about lawlessness there, it's talking about literally knowing what is right, rejecting that, and doing what is wrong, okay? And so believe it or not, there are people that know what they're doing is wrong and still do it anyway and don't feel bad about it, right? That's not a saved person. So now that we kind of understand what this passage is talking about, how do we, how do we actually apply uh, this passage in our lives? I want to go ahead and read the whole passage again, and then we'll talk about it some more. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. It says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So stopping right there, like I said, uh, that that lawlessness there, that means that they know that they're sinning, right? They know it's wrong, and they're still doing it anyway. Uh, that's, that's what it's talking about. It's literally talking about rejecting the law, okay? It says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And so Jesus came and died for those sins, right? So, you know, people that are lost, they commit lawlessness, right? Uh, they, they're rejecting what is good and they're doing what's evil. Jesus came to take that away, right? And it says, whoever sins, uh, or sorry, whoever abides in him does not sin. So again, as a child of God, we do not continue in sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So you continue in sin, you're a lost person, right? If you're, if you, if you're rejecting what is good, willfully doing what is wrong, and no repentance or remorse over it, uh, you're a lost person, right? It says, little children, let no one deceive you. Now, I want to stop there for a moment because that, that tells us, okay, there's, there's a, an additional context here. Remember what we talked about with this uh, book that John was preaching, where John was writing this letter to a church because why? There was people that were coming there and telling them false teaching, right? And so what he's saying here, he says, let no one deceive you. So there were deceivers there trying to tell them what was right and wrong, right? And they were lying about this stuff, just as it is today. Like I said, there's preachers that say, well, you know, I don't sin anymore. They're liars, okay? And they need to repent because they're on their way to hell. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous, right? So the practicing righteousness, this is the same uh, thing that it's talking about with someone who sins. Uh, if you're living in sin, right, you're not saved. If you are living in a way that you're trying to practice righteousness, 
right? You're trying to follow God. You're trying to do what is right. That, that's your lifestyle. Uh, that is, you, you're, you're a saved person, right? You are following Christ. Then he says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, right? Again, you're a lost person. You are in your sin still, right? You're dead in your sins. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Remember, John was talking not only about uh, Jesus coming in spirit, right? But he, he uses that word there, manifested, right? So manifested means he was actually here in the flesh. That he might destroy the works of the devil. In verse 9 here, it says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And so this is where that prior knowledge really comes in here. What comes into you when you're saved? The Holy Spirit, right? And so that seed that is talking about there is the Holy Spirit. So the, there is a part of you that does not sin. That's the Holy Spirit, right? Every sin that we commit is from our flesh. And so there should be this conflict there, right? If there's no conflict within you, you're probably not saved. There should be a conflict there. We should be fighting our flesh nature, denying ourselves to follow God all the time. Right? We need to be fighting for that. I talked about this uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, that there's this analogy, right, that every, every man or, or woman has two dogs within them, Right? Uh, think about two pit bulls fighting, okay? Which is the one that wins that fight? The one you feed, right? And so we have this sin nature still. We have this flesh. It's constantly fighting the, the Spirit of God. And which one wins out, right? Which one wins out in our lives? The one we feed, okay? How do we feed the Holy Spirit? In our, 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 how do we feed our spirit? Studying the Word of God, prayer, trying to be more and more like Jesus. The more we deny ourselves, the better off we will be in life. The, the, the more, the, it'll get easier and easier to follow God and do the right thing the more we deny ourselves. What happens if you give in to every lust of the flesh? It's going to get really hard to start denying it, right? This is what happens with people with addiction, right? They, the more you give into it, the more you give it, the more you feed it, it becomes such a big dog, it's so hard to fight and you need some help, right? This is the same thing with, you know, all, all of our sins, just like addiction, right? We, we as humanity, we have an addiction to sin. This is why it talk, Paul talks about this quite a bit, that, uh, you know, when you're saved... You are not just free to do whatever you want. You're freed from sin, right? That's why Paul says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. And so who are we chained to, right? Who are we chained to? Well, if you're, not, if you're lost, you are chained to your sin. But if you're saved, you should be chained to the Lord. And so there's that 
that fight there that goes on. And we need to make sure that we are feeding the Holy Spirit, right? We need to make sure that we are living in a righteous way. Yes, we're going to sin, uh, and we're probably going to sin often. But that should not be without repentance. That should not be without correction from God, right? And so we need to understand that. Like John says earlier, right, that uh, if we say we have no sin, we lie, we are, sorry, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? What's the remedy? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time we pray to God and we repent, right, and we, we are sorry and remorseful over our sin, God cleanses us from that. Now, yeah, we're going to probably sin again tomorrow, but we need to keep praying to the Lord and rep being repentant over that. We're not perfect. Nobody is. Don't ever say that you're perfect. Don't ever say that you're done learning about God. God's going to wake you up, right? If we, if we think we're comfortable, we're doing everything right, God, there's going to be some trials that come in your life that are going to wake you up to the reality that you still need to repent and you still need God in your life. You can't do everything on your own, right? With that, I'm going to go ahead and invite the pianist and song leader up. If you're here this morning and you are lost, right? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, understand that you, the Bible says that you are dead in your sins. Your destination... Uh, if you are lost, is hell, okay? And people ask, well, how can a good, loving God send people to hell? Well, that good, loving God sent his son to come and die for your sins. That way you don't have to go to hell, right? That's, that's the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus came and died for our sins. That way we can turn to him, right, and not be chained to our sin anymore. Be chained to God, right? And so if you turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will now be anchored in heaven, right? Uh, the Bible calls Jesus the forerunner, right? Uh, the, the captain of our faith. What that means is that he's like, he's like a, a, we, we are like a ship in a storm, and we basically sent this forerunner ship uh, out to the shore to go and anchor us to the shore. Why is that so important? Well, if you turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he anchors us in heaven. And no matter how much we get tossed around, no matter how much we sin, uh, we, we always have that anchor in heaven. And so turn to him this morning uh, as your Lord and Savior. Have faith. That is all that is required. And ask him to save your soul. Repent of your sin. Right? Turn to him and you will be saved and you will be anchored in heaven. Do that this morning if you have not already.